Welcome to the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast. I'm Dr. Jay Calvert here again with Dr. Millicent Ravello. Millicent, what's going on? Not a whole lot. Hanging out with you, doing our podcast. Ready to talk about revision rhinoplasty? Always. This is a huge topic. It is. It's a long one. Well, it doesn't have to be, but I think it's going to be. It might be, yeah. <laughs> but it's good. It, it, it's a big topic, and we've got to tackle it, so let's do it. Well, diving right in, revision rhinoplasty is when you've already had a rhinoplasty. You've had some kind of nasal operation to improve the look of your nose, or the airway, I guess, could be part of it, and you're not happy and you need more surgery right. to fix it. Right. So you've either, like you said, had the surgery before for cosmetic reasons or for airway obstruction, and something about it is still not quite right. And it can range, right? It could be a functional thing because you can't breathe, or you might just not like how it looks, or both. Or both. Or both. And, you know, and there are people that have... First time revisions, <laughs> second time revisions, third time revisions. Other terms that people use is secondary rhinoplasty or tertiary rhinoplasty. Plasty. Um, I use the term heptonary rhinoplasty at this time, which would be seven. What What is your highest number of revision? Fourteen. Oh, I think that's a catorziary <laughs> rhinoplasty. Fourteen's a hefty amount. It's a lot, and it was a guy that uh, really his nose was demolished and and he should not have been having more surgery per se except that his breathing was so bad and the look was so bad and there were answers to make it better which we did but i think the key to understand with revision rhinoplasty is that you have to have clear-cut goals for what you're trying to achieve and the the communication between surgeon and patient is essential to getting through this I think that's true for all rhinoplasties, but for sure when you're coming in with a revision rhinoplasty, because there are a lot of obstacles and you have to be organized about which ones you can realistically address and fix and which ones are way down on that list of things that you can address. So I see a lot of patients for this. It, it's probably, you know, 50% of my practice is revision rhinoplasty and probably 35% is primary rhinoplasty, and then the other stuff fits in the other 15%. But the revisions that I do are often for problems that I think could have been avoided at the primary rhinoplasty. Um, the first most common thing in my, my practice is what I call the completion rev revision <laughs> rhinoplasty, where you're kind of finishing off the primary um, it's just that things didn't get done enough. They didn't get the hump down enough. They didn't get enough definition at the tip. They didn't shorten it enough. And by the way, that happens to me too in primary rhinoplasty where I like one of my most common reasons to revise a rhinoplasty is I didn't shorten the nose enough and rotate it enough. Mm. I'm so paranoid of creating a pig nose that I, I would rather have to trim a little bit more off the septum right. and not deal with it looking piggy. Because lengthening is a whole different animal, right? right? It's easier to make it a little bit shorter than to try and make it longer and flatter. Yeah. And that definitely falls into the completion rhinoplasty <laughs> category. I also see like the underdone hump where you just haven't taken it down enough. Now, I don't want ski slopes, but at the same yeah. time, people want to get rid of the hump. Right, that's what they went in for. They want the hump done. Yeah. They want it smaller. Like I, I very rarely have seen a patient who's like... I really want my nose a lot bigger. <laughs> have you ever seen that? No, I can't say that I have. What about in the world of revisions? 
for you if you have to pick how you're going to get it done what's one of the the what's one of the cartilage sources because a lot of times these people have <laughs> have lost their septum right they've right the, usually at the first primary rhinoplasty someone's taken their septum or which, worked on it or worked on done something to it so that middle part the cartilage that's in the middle of your nose that separates the two halves that's your septum and that's frequently harvested or something's been done to it at the time of the first rhinoplasty. And so that is typically a source of grafts that you use in the nose for support and to open it up or to restructure it. And so when that's gone, you have to look for other sources of of cartilage to rebuild the nose. Right. So this is really key because in secondary rhinoplasty, you've only got a few choices choices. left if the septum's gone. Right. What's your favorite choice of cartilage? I know mine. Okay, full disclosure... I did all my rhinoplasty training with you, so <laughs> I think we know the Very answer there. Very proud of that. Yes. <laughs> we're so gonna, we're rib people. We're going to go for the rib. So the other choice is the ear, you know. But I think when you're looking at a revision patient who really needs a you know a whole takedown and redo of their nose and really rebuilding it, the ear is not going to be sufficient. Why do you say that, Doctor Ravello? <laughs> Because it's just, it's not going to have the support and the rigidity or the quantity that you really need to get that graft setup that you need to basically rebuild the nose. Because when you're doing a revision rhino, and I've seen you do it, and this is how you do it, you basically take it apart. If it's a true revision that needs to be redone, you know, some some of the noses will just need a little tweak here and there and call it a revision. But you're really revising a nose. You almost have to take it apart. And then put it back together. I've just found, you know, and, and yes, I full disclosure, I did teach you to <laughs> go for the rib because, I, I mean, there's a reason why people don't. And I understand that. It's another donor site. You know, it's far away from the nose. You, you know, with the ear, it's right there. You can kind of turn the head and you've got some ear cartilage. Yeah. But what I found, and this is why it really swayed me. So back in the day when I was learning you know, what my preferences really were, like around 2005 and six, when I really got into revisions pretty, pretty heavily, which is a long time ago, I would try to, I thought I was doing my patients a favor by using the ear cartilage. I'd be like, yeah, you know, we're going to use the ear. Don't worry about it. I can totally redo it. I can cut the graphs from there. And I would use ear cartilage for all these like major league graphs. And what I found is that if the skin was thick and that the scar tissue was strong that the ear yeah. cartilage is just, I mean, it's feel just, your ear. No. It's soft. It's nice. It's squishy. It's bendable. It's squishy. <laughs> to quote fat bastard from uh, Austin Powers. <laughs> but uh, that's not what you want. It's not what you want in a nose. No. You need something that's going to hold shape. Yeah. Uh, if you feel the rib, listen, that's me pounding on my ribs. And if you can understand that that's going to be much stronger that's where you go because the grafts that you can cut and we're not talking about big blocks of rib no. that's put on the dorsum which some people do we don't do that yeah. like that's not that's not i haven't done a big block rib graft since i was uh a resident in pittsburgh at the va in my first year of residency of plastics residency that was the last one i put in and by the way i'm going to show that case during my presidential address at the rhinoplasty society meeting in Las Vegas. Uh, but for us, we want strong grafts that are going to hold shape. Right. You can't beat the scar tissue with ear cartilage. No, and that's the whole thing. So let's talk a little bit about these revision rhinos because we've talked about why they might come in, 
But then when the patients come to you, what is the most common thing that they want you to do? Or do you have a most common or is it a grab bag? Well, it depends on the problem, of course. But, you know, the most common thing that that I hear from the patients is that it isn't what they wanted. It, it's a, it's a well, you know, I got this. And, and it's not like it's a disaster. I, I mean, the disasters are the disasters. Mm-hmm. We do see them. But that's yeah. not like most people who go to get rhinoplasty these days are going to people that do rhinoplasty. They People get on the internet. They do their research. They see how many before and afters you have on your website. So I think most patients who are you know, just a little bit insightful will wind up in the office of somebody who does rhinoplasty. Right. But then they just say like, well, it's just not what I wanted. You know, I wanted something better. I wanted something mm. different. And, and they'll point at things. And, and so that's why I say I can... Let's just say that I can only fix three things. What are those three things that you want done? And that really helps direct the patient into understanding, oh, he only said three things because I had a list here of like 46 (laughs) and actually the longest list I ever had was 21. Still a substantial list. I mean, you can't get it all. (laughs) Like it's just not going to happen. So the list, by the way, is a little bit of a warning sign because, you know, when the list has 21 things on it, like it's not going to happen. You're going to have an unhappy patient. Right. So I, I always listen carefully and I make sure that, A, this is a patient I can satisfy because, you know, a lot of people, it's hard. They just, they aren't going to be satisfied no matter what. And so why should they spend a ton of money, ton of time, go through surgery and still not be satisfied? And we can identify those people. I mean, don't you yeah. agree? No, it's definitely pretty obvious when someone comes in for the first time, the second time, the third time, and they have the unreasonable expectations. And you just, you can tell, you know, who you can help, who you can make a difference in, and who's going to be happy with that change versus some patients will will just always find something a little bit off. And I think it's pretty easy to pinpoint those patients ahead of time. Well, one thing that you said is the first time, second time, third time. Once they hit the third time, it is a a bona fide fact that a patient that needs three separate consults will not be happy with the result of the rhinoplasty. That is a studied and published set of data that once they've come for the third consult, not the pre-op appointment, they can come once, they can come twice. But when they hit the third, I'm still trying to figure out if I should do this. Then you should tell them you shouldn't. Right. Because they're not going to be happy. And that's not, it's, it, it's just, it's a fact. It, like we have that study. And, and so why waste their time, their money and, and take them down a surgical path when it's, it's not going to make it's them happy. It's not what happy. they necessarily want. Yeah. I mean, it, it is, there's a lot. I mean, I always say that rhinoplasty, nasal surgery is identity surgery. Your pe- people I have a, their identity is on how they nose, look, yeah. and their nose is right in the middle right. of their face. So if you got if you're going to do this work, you want to stack the cards in the favor of your patient. You want to do the right thing for them. And so when you see things like that, like hey, this is our third consult. I got to tell you, <laughs> and I do. I say, look, you know, you're here for your third consult. We're not doing surgery, number one, but number two, like there's a study that shows that you're not going to be happy, and I'm not here to to tell you to do surgery or not to do surgery. But, you know, in my, in my experience and based on the information I have, don't sign up. Yeah. I think that's very wise. I think that it's a wise thing to do and hard. It's, so, well, you've got to tell people no. Yeah. yeah, it's hard to do. So you have these patients and they're coming in and now they're ready and they're signing up. And we talked a little bit about the rib graft. 
What percentage of your revision rhinoplasties are you using rib in? Hmm. I don't know the percentage of my, I, I would say it's probably half of my revisions, maybe more. If they need grafts, I'm using rib. But a lot of them, a lot of times there are cases where I'm adjusting things, um, changing, scraping things out, you know, moving things, moving grafts. So it's not necessarily so that I have to have rib cartilage in every single revision rhinoplasty. Just if they need grafts and more If they support. need grafts, I'm doing it. Yeah. And by the way, there are some patients where they didn't touch the septum. So if they went to a plastic surgeon and they had a straight septum, they may not have had their septum taken. Right. Might still be there. Yeah, it might be there. And that, that does happen fairly frequently. So it just depends. But I, I, I use rib when, I, when I'm looking at structural issues. I'm a rib guy. <laughs> so what is different that you tell the patients between what they can expect from their first primary rhinoplasty to their second or third? I mean, obviously, they've gone through this before. They sort of have an idea of what to expect because they've done it. What is different now, the second time or the third time that they're going back? Well, I tell them it's a completely different operation. Primary rhinoplasty and revision rhinoplasty are two different things. I can't say it any clearer than that. Let me try. (laughs) Primary rhinoplasty and revision rhinoplasty are two different things. You're saying they're two different things. (laughs) They are two very different things. There is no way to look at them as the same operation. And that that's so important to get because people think, well, I've had this. I did this before. It wasn't so bad. Yeah. Wrong answer. It is bad. It is a totally different thing. Well, it's not bad. It's just that it's different and you have to be ready for it. The healing time is prolonged. The, if you need rib, you have a new donor site right, right. that hurts. Yeah. It does. It's rib not nothing. Yeah. You have swelling that's worse than your primary. Way worse. It, we're going to need a separate podcast about swelling because. Let's call it It's Swelling. In fact, it's swelling. we should make a podcast <laughs> and just say, just refer to the swelling podcast <laughs> so that I don't have to, you know, repeat myself every time because literally patients will. In the second week of after a revision rhinoplasty, say, oh my God, it's so swollen. When's the swelling go down? I'll say it takes a year to two years. And then three weeks after when they come in, they'll say, oh my God, when's the swelling going to go down? It's still, still, I saw you last week and I said, I'm going to say it again this week, but it's still going to be a year to two years before the swelling goes down. And then they'll come at three months and they'll be like, oh my God, you know, I can't believe how swollen it is. And when do you think the swelling is going to go down? And I'll say, well... It's going to be within a year to two years after the surgery. So maybe you're on the nine month. To, <laughs> it, it, but you can say it as many times as you want. And no matter what, yeah. they want that swelling they down. They want it to go down faster. And they want it to heal faster. And, and I want it to heal faster. And everybody wants it to heal faster. But it's not going to heal faster. There's no way to make it heal faster than your body right. and the operation that you've had in concert are going to let that heal. So what is, because so I know on our prime. On a primary rhinoplasty podcast, we use this term restaurant ready. And we said about two to three weeks, you're restaurant ready after your primary rhinoplasty. What's your time frame for your revisions? It's variable. Um, it depends on what you're doing. So if you're making the nose smaller, then the swelling is going to be greater. And so they're going to look a lot more potato-ish, no definition, not great for a longer period of time. 
So notes has to shrink down. Yeah, I mean, you may not be ready for a a family portrait for, you know, two to three months after that. Maybe longer. But if you're making the nose bigger and you're stretching the skin, could be less. Right, because you can see that definition more clearly earlier. Could be four weeks. I mean, I, I I have had patients, though. There's a patient I can think of on my Instagram account, Dr. Jay Calvert, by the way, that... We did make her nose smaller, and her swelling really wasn't bad at, at hmm. four weeks. So it's variable, but plan for the worst. All right. And do you think there's a difference between men, women, thickness of skin, ethnicities in terms of how long their swelling takes? Yeah, I do. I think that male to female, not so much. Um, but skin thickness, what you're doing to the nose going bigger, going smaller, adding grafts, taking stuff out, taking out scar tissue. Um, Depending on what you do, the the profile of the swelling can really change. The things that you can do to try, and this is just, you know, these are things that we do. We tell our patients, you know, to try to get the swelling to go down faster. You can do hyperbaric oxygen, which I think does help. I have seen that. If I were having revision rhinoplasty, I would have hyperbaric oxygen. For how long? I would go for five dives and see where I am and maybe do five more. So hyperbaric oxygen is just a chamber that's basically has 100% oxygen in it as opposed to what is it? 20 something percent we have in the normal air. 21%. 21%. O2 is in your normal ambient air. But these hyperbaric chambers are 100% oxygen. So you're getting a whole lot more oxygen and all of this associated blood supply and healing properties to your skin. Right. And hyperbaric oxygen is indicated. It's a medical treatment that is indicated for wound healing, diabetic foot ulcers, post-radiation injury. So it is there to help things heal faster. And so that makes sense that it makes swelling go down. And I have seen patients go for hyperbaric oxygen where their nose looks like a potato and they come back and it looks like a nose even after one or two treatments. So I I would do it. Um, The... The other thing that comes up is uh, whether you should ice the nose down. Um, I think ice in the first 48 hours, yes. Uh, after that, not helpful. Doesn't do much. Um, bromelain and arnica, pineapple yeah. juice. It uh, helps with the bruising. I think Swelling, so. probably not. Lymphatic drainage massaging of the nose. No, you're going to knock my graphs out of the <laughs> way. Don't do that. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to cry and have to do it again. And uh so don't do that. But I think those are the things that you can do and then it, the reality is it is time. But there are some things, right? Cuz you can do steroid injections after a little while that will help with the swelling. Yeah, I mean steroid shots help. Yeah. Steroid uh oral steroids, you know, packs the uh, Medrol dose packs. Those are all things that you can do. Uh, but you know, to get the results, like this is why I tell people, look, revision rhinoplasty is a project. It is not an operation. If you want a revision, we need to work together. It is a project that is going to take a year to two years. Don't sign up for this if you're not up for it. I think that's a good way of putting it. I like that project. It is. It's a project. It's a project. Oh, we can do this. Oh, so now we're having this little issue. So now we're going to do this. And I see this happening. So now we're going to do this. It is. It's you got to work at it. Yeah. If you want that great result and your nose isn't where you want it to be after previous surgery, then you've got to, you got to get on the train and go. And I say, I say it that way because 
it is a train. You know, like you get on a train at one train station. You can't get off <laughs> until you get to the next one. Right. So you got to get on the train for the next year and a half. Right. And if you try and get off early, you're, you're not you're where not you want to go. That's right. Yeah. I, I mean, I've had patients who've done that where they, you know, I had these discussions with them. And three weeks after surgery, they're like, you know, I'm just really not happy with this result. I think I need to see another surgeon. I'm like, <laughs> hang on a second. <laughs> You're not healed yet. Well, what yeah. part of a year to two years? Well, it's just not going well. I'm like, I told you it's going to look like a potato. I told you it wouldn't be restaurant ready for two to three months. I, I told you all those things. How are you calling me saying that you're not happy? Like, what did I miss here? Right. And really, that that is that they just didn't listen or they didn't hear it, which is why, you know, quite honestly, a podcast like this is helpful because when you hear it in this setting, and, and I think that's why this podcast has been very helpful for the patients, is that they they can kind of hear it more on their own terms yeah. rather than the office when they're nervous and... Right. And you, yeah, you don't deal. you don't comprehend a lot of what you hear in the doctor's office, which is why those second consultations are good. But I agree, a format like this, where you're in the comfort of your own home, you're not anxious, you're not worried about things. I think it is a little bit easier to digest, and the more you hear it, maybe the yeah. more it'll sink in. I, I mean, I, I really, I, I, you know, I just have this empathy for the the revision rhinoplasty patients because you know. These are people that are walking around with something that isn't right in the middle of your face. <laughs> and it's right. just, I mean, just, you want to feel how that feels. For those of you who are, who are listening, you don't want to, you, know, you know, you don't have a rhinoplasty issue. You want to feel what it feels like. Get a piece of chewing gum, chew it up a little bit, and stick it on the middle of your nose, and then go walk into a room and start talking to people. <laughs> and that's how it feels. Like everyone's staring at your nose. <laughs> That's right. And it's like, it's uncomfortable and it's not the way that you want it to be. And, and by the way, there's nothing you can do about it. Right. No, as a patient, no, not at all. You, you're not a surgeon. Yeah. You can't operate on yourself. No. And, and then there's also a timing issue. So when, after the primary rhinoplasty that you are now unhappy with, when would you recommend that they can get a revision rhinoplasty? I would say at least a year. You know, six months, you can really see that it's probably not what you like and you're probably safe to do it at six months, but I would probably feel more comfortable at about a year. And why is that? Well, up until six months, I would say the nose is still kind of changing and going into its shape. The scar tissue is still forming. But really, I think at a year is when the changes have stopped. They're not going to continue. What you, what you have is what you're going to have, and it's not going to change much more. Now, to be fair, all rhinoplasties will change over years and decades. But in general, that initial result is more or less, I would say, by six months to a year, what you can expect to have. It's not going to change for the better after that. No. I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. You, you want to not be hitting a moving target. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it's really just a wound healing issue more than that. I think, it, you know, I'll go in at nine to ten months if it's, you know, looks like things have calmed down. I like a year. Yeah. Um, people say, well, that's what, what the textbooks say, but nobody's ever done a study on it. It's just made up <laughs> and it's kind of by trial and error, trial and error. I will tell you, cause I've done this. There was one patient who was so deformed after her rhinoplasty. Um, and it wasn't a primary, it was a revision. She was so deformed that we operated at four months Ooh. afterwards. 
because she she was like i'm not gonna make it she's like i can't live in my life i mean and she was whoever the surgeon was like ruined her face and we took everything out and i redid it and i made it better but i will tell you that it was a struggle because it was scarred in it was early. sticky yeah. and not good yeah for sure and, and we didn't do the full operation it was like a damage control thing just to try to get her through it yeah we both paid for that though i could never get that nose right mm. i got it better it's fine but I couldn't get that A plus, you know. Right? No, not in that early time frame. That swelling and all that sticky scar tissue. But was even then, we disaster. waited. Yeah. Like I made her look fine, so that she, you know, she, like she wasn't up on the right. ledge, ready to jump right. anymore. But it was, it just I could never get it to cooperate. So I reoperated a year after that four month intervention, and it was still hard. And and it just didn't heal right. Like yeah. it just wasn't good. So I I don't recommend going in early. Well, I think one question that a lot of these revision rhino patients have, because they, some of them are very traumatized by their initial experience or their bad outcome, is, and I know you have an answer for this, what are the chances I'm going to need to have another surgery after this one? I have my statistics, <laughs> and I have the national statistics, and I have, I got, I got stats galore. So the national average for all comers of revision rhinoplasty, if you have a rhinoplasty, all comers, 15% chance you're going to need more surgery. After a primary. All comers. All comers. 15%. Well, that's not a very helpful number then. <laughs> in my world, in my practice, with, again, I've got about 4,500 rhinoplasties under my belt at this point. There's a 5 to 10% chance that you will need a revision rhinoplasty with a primary, in my hands. Okay. If you've had trauma broken nose in the past what something where you've hurt your nose and fractured it then it's now 10 to 15 percent if you've had previous rhinoplasty and this is a revision rhinoplasty 15 percent chance that you need another operation and if you've had a previous rib graft by another surgeon we published it 25 percent chance that you need further surgery that's not a small number that's why we published it. Is a pretty high number. Right. So if you've had a rib graft for vision rhinoplasty, there's a 25% chance, a one out of four, that you're going to need more surgery. So, and then here's the thing is people always say, well, who's going to pay for that? If you've had a rib graft in my practice, that, uh, sorry, if you've had a rib graft elsewhere and you're coming into my practice, then if there is another rhinoplasty, you will have to pay for it because it's a 25% chance. So I'm not including that in the price of the surgery. So they, those people, unfortunately, are up against it in terms of price. However, if you come into my practice and there's a 15% chance that you need revision rhinoplasty, uh, then I will not charge a surgeon fee, but I do have the patients pay the OR and the anesthesia charges. So these are patients that you've operated on I've operated for whatever on. reason need a revision. They need a tweak. The yeah. nostrils aren't yeah. right. There's some scar tissue. Right. There, Whatever it is, 20, the 15% chance, fine pay the OR and the anesthesia, I'll do the rest. Same thing with primary rhinoplasty, same thing with trauma. And I think that's a pretty standard across the industry where if there's some little tweak that needs to be done, you know, assuming that the surgeon agrees that it needs to be tweaked. Of course. I think most surgeons will waive or significantly discount their fee. The difference, of course, and I think you have to be clear about this, is if you come in and you say, I just don't like it, but 
the surgeon looks at it and says, you actually have a good result. That's a little bit different. Well, that's the thing. Then it's, if you have a good result, you want something different. Like if there's a problem, then we can all agree that like, oh, the nostrils are too asymmetric because you're going to have asymmetric nostrils (laughs) no matter what. I don't know anybody with symmetric symmetric nostrils and you're going to have asymmetry. So get ready for that. But if they're too asymmetric and we look at them, we're like, yeah, we got to work on that. Then fine. I'm going to do that. In general, that's something I can do under local in the exam room. I don't need an operating room to do that. Um, Then there's no charge. That's fair. I think that's reasonable. Yeah. I mean, I think it, you know, that's the thing. These revision rhinoplasties are a project. Get that. It is really not something that you just like go into like willy nilly. Right. I'm going to have a revision rhino today. A week I'll be back at work. And then a few weeks, hey, Looking good. I'm going to go skiing and see my friends. So I think the the biggest, you know, topic about, you know, doing these things too, that really hits patients hard is the cost. It's not cheap. It is not cheap. And if they are having an actual functional airway issue, you know, there is a component that may be picked up by insurance. No guarantees. It may be. But if it's if there's no airway issues or if your insurance is not going to cover it for some reason and you're paying out of pocket straight cash, especially if you're having a rib, it's not cheap. No, uh, it, it's three times the cost in general of a primary rhinoplasty, two to three times the cost. And so you have to be ready for that. And it's like you've already paid for one rhinoplasty and it's not right. Now you're going to pay for another one and it's twice as expensive yeah. and a higher chance you're going to need more surgery. You better have an expert. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Get somebody who knows what they're doing. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's uh, that's about it. I, I'm, I think we'll talk more about rhinoplasty down the road, but I think in terms of a starter kit for revision right. rhinoplasty. Global, rhinopla- glo- global revision rhinoplasty topic, this is it. <clears throat> we can certainly talk about individual problems related to revision or primary rhinoplasties. We can talk about the revision of the hump or the airway or what have you. We'll dissect those another road. day. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's all we got, Dr. Ravello. Anything else you want to add? No, I think we're good. All right. Well, then this is the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast coming to you from the 90210. The Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast is brought to you by Rock Spa. This is MediSpa, located both in Beverly Hills and Newport Beach, providing services such as Botox, fillers, lasers, and all therapy, as well as hydrofacials, and all the aesthetic products you could possibly need. It's run by the medical director, me, Dr. Jay Calvert. Rock Spa Beverly Hills is located at 120 South Spalding Drive in Suite 340, Beverly Hills, 90212. The phone number there is 310-777-0496, and Rock Spa Newport Beach is located at 1617 West Cliff Drive, Newport Beach, California, 92660. The phone number there is 949-644-1111. You can go to their respective websites, rockspanewportbeach.com or rockspabeverlyhills.com. Rockspa was created to help my patients maintain their aesthetic beauty in between whatever operations they have throughout their lives. It's something that allows patients to come in, get their facials, skin treatments, take care of all the Botox fillers and lasers that they need to keep up their beauty and if they've invested in any of the aesthetic operations I perform 
It's the way to maintain those operations. If you mention this podcast, you will get the member's pricing for your hydrofacial. The Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast is the way that Dr. Ravello and I talk about the issues that are important to us in plastic surgery, but there's nothing better than getting to take care of our patients and do plastic surgery. Our practices are located in Beverly Hills, and I also have a satellite office in Newport Beach. You can learn about my practice at drcalvert.com, and you can reach my office by calling 310-777-8800, and that will get you an appointment either in Beverly Hills or at the Newport Beach office. My practice is located in Beverly Hills. Our office phone number is 310-954-1355. You can also contact us directly through the website, which is rovelloplasticsurgery.com. We look forward to seeing you in the office for some aesthetic tune-ups.